this is um, has member care applications, and it's a it's a point of ongoing confusion and in our culture and in the church culture. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a a, a pretty pretty brief theology of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, and then how does it work out in terms of when the situations get complicated and and um, and then what 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 kind of advice should you or should you not maybe give and then and in the in the middle of this if you have questions then just raise your hand and say what about this or what about that I, so it's, I don't want it to necessarily be a lecture but if you have questions and I and I can tell you and I'll be glad to tell you I don't know good question or here's what I think um, James if you have thoughts then interject them anybody else and what we're going to get to primarily is not just theology hanging out there in midair, but uh, you know, if you haven't already, you're, you're going to deal with people who are going through these these issues. And then, you know, what's a what's a good approach? Um, I had a um, a lady last spring who was in the process of leaving her husband, and um, they're not divorced yet. But I try to be discreet about this. Anyway, he he's coming to he's been coming to church since last fall, and he's not been to church. I've known him for known him and prayed for him for almost twenty years, and he's been coming to church as a result of the challenges in their in their marriage. But um, she asked me, "Have you ever seen a situation where you thought divorce was a good option?" And um, my response was, "I it's it's a good question." And, uh, but I, I said, I've seen plenty of unsust- unsustainable situations. But I've never seen a marriage that could not survive if they changed what they were doing. <laughs> so she was asking me um, a question, but it was not an A or B, it was a C. You know, yeah, I, there's some marriages that you, you can't keep doing that and survive. There's no way. But I, I would say that there's no marriage has to keep doing that. They could do something different. So marriage, here's some scripture on marriage. Um, number one, marriage is God's idea, and that's important. Um, so you, so we, we collectively believe the scripture is authoritative, that it, it tells us what's, it's normative. It tells us what to do and not to do. If a person is not surrendered to scripture, then, then really the, none of this is going to have any weight. But Rodney and I were talking about a book he read where the guy, the guy didn't like the idea that there was a hell. And so he, I asked Rodney what his theology was. And he said his theology wasn't that different from what I said this morning. That basically came down to, I just don't want it to be that way. And so he just monkeyed with a conclusion. But if you monkey with a conclusion, then what happens when, well, I've got a homosexual friend. I don't like that what the Bible says about that, or I'm going to leave my wife, or I want to sleep with this other woman, or whatever, pretty soon you have, you know, Thomas Jefferson Bible. You guys familiar with Thomas Jefferson? He cut out everything, that all the supernatural, everything he didn't like, he cut it out, and it was much thinner Bible, a New Testament, but that was his New Testament. And so, for me, it's irrational. You, you, you either got to take it all or take none of it. And if you're not going to take all of it, why monkey with any of it? It'd be a lot more convenient just to go do your own thing. So the marriage is God's idea, Genesis 2.18, Genesis 2.23 and 24. God's the one who thought of, of marriage, not 
God didn't design wedding ceremony, but God designed marriage. And so whenever there's a covenant commitment made, and, and I, this is really important to me at this point in my life, whenever a couple makes a covenant commitment, something happens. There, there, was, a, there was a family form that did not exist before. And that's something that God does. Second thing in Scripture, you see that God did divorce his own people for unfaithfulness. One place you see that is Jeremiah 3, 8. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all of her adulteries. Yet I saw that her sister Judah, unfaithful Judah, had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. So what, is it, what does it exactly mean? I mean, there's, there's covenant implications, theological implications for God divorcing his people. But he sent them off into, he let them go off into um, slavery. They, they went off into captivity. The New Testament gives two exception clauses, they're called, for divorce. Unfaithfulness and an unbelieving spouse who wants to leave. The unfaithfulness is, is in Matthew 5.31. It's been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. You, you may know this, but at the time, a Jewish man could divorce his wife for virtually anything. He could just say, I divorce you. And uh, the, the women didn't have that recourse, but a man could divorce his wife for anything. And so um, Jesus says, but I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And then in 19, some Pharisees came to test him, and they said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason, which is what they believed? Haven't you read, he replied, that the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and then he quotes from Genesis 1, and um, what God is doing together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce, send her away? And Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces a wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. And the disciples said, if this is a situation between a husband and a wife, it's better not to marry. So this is how ingrained it was in their society that there's no way I can stay married long term. And if I'm, if I got to be stuck with some woman, then it'd be better not to even be married. So you see how what the situation was. And so Moses, was, Moses, Moses wasn't speaking for God um, when he said, you can give her a certificate of divorce. In 1 Corinthians 7.10, is the, is the, um, it's a little bit of a long passage, but let me read it to you. Yeah, well, it's, it's, we'll just try to get to the gist of it. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. And so he's in, a, he's in a contrast between not I, but the Lord, and then I, not the Lord. Now, the, the tricky thing is, is that when Paul is speaking in, 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 in the New Testament, he is speaking infallibly for the Lord. So basically what he's saying is, you know, this is, what, this is a direct quote from the Lord, and then this is from me. But even though it's from Paul, it doesn't mean it's not true, because Paul is speaking under the authority of the, scripture, uh, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as well. So to the merit I give this command, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest I say this, I not the Lord. If any brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to leave, live with him, he must not divorce her. If a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Lots of opinions about what all that means. 
Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But, the unbeliever, but if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man and woman is not bound in such circumstances. So the main options, here's the main options on divorce and remarriage. The first main option is divorce for any reason is acceptable. Remarriage is acceptable for divorced persons regardless of what led to divorce. That's the dominant view in America. Divorce for any reason, remarriage for any reason. That's the dominant view. That's one. Second, divorce is unacceptable for any reason. Marriage is therefore never acceptable for any reason. Remarriage is not acceptable for any reason unless you were remarrying your original spouse. And that's Bill Gothard. If you're familiar with Bill Gothard, um, he was a very popular um, figure in the, in the 80s, um, basic institute of youth conflict. He had, would gather literally thousands of people to his conferences. So he takes a very long, hard line. Um, his, his approach to scriptures is, is iffy at best. It's the third approach would be divorce is acceptable for limited reasons, the two that we just gave, marital unfaithfulness or the unbelieving spouse that wants out. But remarriage is not acceptable if you do have a divorce. That's John Piper takes that view. Fourth, there's other people in all these. I'm just giving you representative people. Fourth, divorce is acceptable for limited reasons too, the ones we gave. And and remarriage is acceptable if the divorce was the result of one of those two reasons. And a representative of that would be um, Tim Keller, Jay Adams. Jay Adams is a, a counselor you may be familiar with. And so... Again, the exceptions would be adultery, and the word there is fornication, which means sexual, sexual interaction. So in, in my opinion, in the, in the opinion of most people, that, that would not include viewing pornography. Not, it's not mental adultery. It's not emotional adultery. It would be physical adultery. So because some people say, well, I have grounds to divorce my husband or my wife because they had an emotional affair or a visual affair, but... You know, I, I don't I don't agree with that. I mean, people maybe think differently, but the the the, for, the, the, the adultery in the scriptures is fornication. It's having sex with somebody else. The second would be the unbelieving spouse who wants out of marriage, and so then the question is, and and not, and I've had this question multiple times. James, you probably have as well. What if the spouse claims to be a believer, but refuses to repent, wants to leave the marriage, um, but they claim to be a believer? Is there an exception clause for that? Does that make sense or not? So if they claim to be a believer, they said, yeah, I, I love Jesus, blah, blah, blah. But they want out of the marriage. Um, or, second scenario, they are a, um, they're a, they're a, a persistent, um, rebellious, um, hard-headed, you know, um, they're, not, they're not gone and committed adultery, but... Um, the way they act in the marriage, they're acting in a way that, yeah, they want out. They don't want to be married, but they claim to be a believer. Jay Adams, Tim Keller, others would say, um, at that point, you would apply Matthew 18, Matthew 18, 15 to 18, where if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. And this would apply to the husband and wife. If he listens, you've won your brother over. But if he won't listen, take one or two others along. So the matter would be established by testimony of two witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church, then treat them as a pagan or tax collector. In other words, treat them as an unbeliever. So Adams Keller would say that the, the model then would be, the, it's not so much what the person claims, I, I'm a believer. Um, anybody can say that. 
But if they say they're a believer, but they persistently act like an unbeliever, even as you go through the Matthew 18 process, then you treat them functionally as an unbeliever. And so if this is a person who, because I've had, in this case, spouses say, my husband is gone, um, he wants out of the marriage, but he claims to be a believer. Um, at that point, then I think the Matthew 18 scenario would kick in, and it doesn't really matter what they say. At that point, um, here in Matthew 18, Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, so implying this is a person who at least claims to be a believer, but they, they persistently respond, don't respond, don't respond, then you treat them as a, a pagan or tax collector. Now, along those lines, sometimes I, there's a, I have a friend who's a part of a church who's using that passage to beat someone up um, say, we're going to treat you like a tax collector or pagan, meaning we're going to treat you like a dirty dog that you are. But how, scripturally, what, how does Jesus treat tax collectors or pagans? You know, you try to love them into the, the kingdom. That's another story. But the point is, is that in Jay Adams' approach, Tim Keller's approach, theology, um, it's not so much what they claim, it's what they demonstrate with their, with their life. So here's some thoughts on divorce and remarriage. The, ex, the two exceptions allow but don't require divorce. So reconciliation would always be the best option. And, and I've, I've known several couples who have gone through unfaithfulness whose marriage has survived. And second, divorce is not worse than other sins. A third, unbiblical divorce and unbiblical remarriage can be repented of. But if, you know, if, 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 if you divorce sinfully, remarried sinfully, outside of biblical, and you're currently married again, you don't dissolve that. Yes? Abuse? We'll get there. Good question. Good question. Yeah. No, hold that thought if I, if I don't, if I don't res- come back around. So, no, let's, let's go with that. So, num- number, no, so, number one, you know, safety is number one, the number one thing you want to deal with. So, you want them safe. And we'll get to that in a minute. But, but safety doesn't mean that you go straight to divorce, you know. So, but you want someone to be safe. So getting police involved, getting them hidden, getting them away, you know, we've been involved in that over the years as well. So safety is number one, you know. And then um, and at that point, um, what Jay Adams would say along those lines is, let's say the person's beating the wife. And, and, people, and, and you're free to have different opinions on this. I mean, this is, this is where it gets into, when you start compounding sin, the scripture doesn't have, you know, once you start getting to E equals MC squared, you're so far outside of the boundaries that, you know, it doesn't have all this. You got to just, it's kind of scenario driven. What Jay Adams would say, let's say a scenario, you know, um, guy's beating his wife and, um, and um, she gets safe and then he wants to come back, but he's still abusive. He's unrepentant, abuse, abusive. And, um, and you, you go through the, the church discipline process if possible, but he just said, I don't even want part of that. And, um, but he says, I don't want out of the marriage either. Jay Adams' argument would be, and Keller's too, I think, would be, once again, just like if you say you're a believer but act this way, you're not. If you say you want to be in a marriage but you're acting this way, you're an unbelieving spouse who wants out. Your actions are betraying you. So he would say, that in that case, the, the, um, the, believe, the, the believing spouse would not be bound. 
And you're free to disagree with that approach. Is that, is that the stance you would take, James? Yeah. And it's okay if you don't think that way, but I'm just telling you the, the, that, that the, the, again, it, there, if you're trying to find like a direct verse that would apply to all these complicated situations, it's pretty hard to do. But Adam's approach would be, and some people say, well, she, she needs to stay married or she can divorce him, but she can't remarry. Um, Adams would say, uh, he, said he's an un- he said he's a believer, he's not acting like one, treat him like one. He said he wants to stay, his actions are betraying him, he doesn't want to stay in the marriage. So that's, that's that approach. Does that answer the question? Now, I would say that, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but I heard a, yes, Tim. Yeah, like, um, so you mean like if someone was beating the wife, beating the woman? Right, they'd have to go through the divorce process. Yeah, yeah. But I guess what his point would be that you have, you have biblical grounds to get a legal divorce now, you know, a legitimate from, from his perspective. Now, I would say that and what we were going to get to this when we get to the application, but um, I, heard, I, had a, I heard a, a general talking to his commanders recently about people were um, moving too quick, that these commanders taking moving too quick, wing commanders to take action on things. They were kind of knee-jerk reaction, and they were causing more trouble than they were solving by moving too quick. And he said, if it's not a matter of life, limb, or eyesight, take a knee. <laughs> I mean, for, for, you, for you athletes, it's like, all right, take a knee, stop, slow down, take a breath, don't do anything. And so I think it's good advice. If, get, if, get, the, get the situation stabilized. If they're safe, then don't do anything. You know, get, and sometimes, and, and, and I have, people have sometimes pressed me to move faster, and I'm like, let's give the Holy Spirit time to work. Let's give time for chemicals to go down. If everybody's safe, I'm going to abide by the Scripture. But the Scripture doesn't put a calendar on some of this. And, and it's been two weeks. Terry, you haven't done anything yet. Talk to me when it's been three months. And sometimes you just need to slow down and, and, and let, let facts come to the surface. Let, and I don't mean you're not doing anything during that time, but sometimes we do a lot of damage when we... When we read a verse and say, I'm going to apply it yesterday, and it, it causes a lot of damage. Um, so divorce always stems from sin, but, I, but divorce is not always sinful. Divorce is always the cause because of sin, but not all divorce. If you believe in the two exception clauses, which I do, divorce is not always sinful. Divorce always breaks a marriage. And some, the reason I say that is because some people say, well, they're still married in God's eyes. But if the covenant's been broken, then they're not still married in God's eyes. The marriage has been broken. It's never necessary among believers. I mean, it's never, like I told this lady, um, you can change. Believers can repent. The Holy Spirit can help them. It, it doesn't have to go that way. It's legitimate on those two grounds we, we mentioned. And um, it's forgivable even when sinful. It's not like 
you're marked the rest of your life. It's like other sins you can be forgiven. So remarriage, that's divorce, remarriage. In general, Scripture seems to indicate in general, marriage, remarriage would, marriage, remarriage would be desirable. Um, that doesn't mean everybody should remarry or everybody is going to have the opportunity to, to remarry, but generally speaking, there's this sense that it's desirable. It's possible for a diverse, divorced person, I believe, um, and then it gets complicated. So if someone's been divorced and the, the, neither one of those two spouses is married and they repent, then the, the highest biblical good would be for them to attempt to reconcile. And I've done, I've done the weddings of three couples so far who had been divorced and then remarried each other. And, um, and as far as I know, they all three stayed together after that. But it was years. Um, but what if, one of the, what, if, what if one of them is already married someone else? That's when it start, you start compounding interest on your sins. You don't go say, well, leave that marriage now and come back to this one. Um, so here's some, here's some, yeah, Tony. Yeah, I think, and that's and that's where it starts. You start getting in different opinions. That's when you know people like Gothard would would take that approach and say, "There's never grounds for divorce because it's a picture of, you know, the Christ and so forth." But then others would say, "Yeah, that's true, except for the two exception clauses, and those are the exceptions." And then they would say, "Even even God issued a certificate of divorce to unfaithful Israel." So that would be an approach some would take and say there's never grounds because this is a picture of marriage. Others would say, well, yeah, it's a picture. It's an analogy of marriage, but all analogies have limitations. And so it's a, it's a limited... Because um, in the Scripture it says... Um, somebody may know it by heart, but he said, but I'm... You know, he's, he's using his analogy, he said, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So he was using it as an analogy, and it, it wasn't not necessarily a direct point-for-point point correlation. Huh? Ephesians 5? Yeah. Good question. Any other question? And again, um, this is a... Uh, feel free to disagree. Feel free to have different opinions or approach on this, because we're all committed to the Scriptures. We're all committed to the Lordship of Jesus. And that's the bottom line. And, um, and we want to help people. So here's what I would advise in terms of helping people, some do's and don'ts. Do advise people to be safe. And um, that's, that's number one. And, and if, if, some, if some idea of Scripture is keeping them in a dangerous situation, that's not right. You know, you get safe first. And um, if, if, you, if you're an EMT or a first responder... The first thing they teach you, I have EMT training. What do they say? Is the scene safe? That's, and if you, 
because I went through some training, and if, if you don't say, is the scene safe, you flunk no matter what else you do. Yeah, Tony? Um, I think that would be situational. It, it, and I don't know the answer to that. I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I think yes, could be, maybe not. But um, if someone's, if someone's, if emotional equals slash mental breakdown slash, you know, um, potentially harming themselves or, then that's, that would, yeah, definitely that would apply. But I said maybe because there's some people who maybe they're looking for a reason. I've had people who are, you know, my husband's not nice to me or my wife's not nice to me. And so that's emotional abuse or whatever. And I'm thinking, I know a lot of people would like to have your situation, really, to be honest. So I guess that's why I say I don't know. Um, I don't say that. But, <laughs> but I guess it depends on the level. So, and then, and then it's, it's their perception. If they perceive that they're about to have to kill themselves, whatever, then yeah, safety is a, safety can be a relative term. It's a good question. Do advise them to be safe. My opinion is, don't ever tell someone to get a divorce, even if they, even if they have grounds for a divorce. Don't tell them to get a divorce. You should just divorce them. Uh, that's really not your place. If they say, does the Bible allow for divorce? I think you can take them to the Scripture and say, here's what the Scriptures say. That's legitimate. If they say, well, what do you think I should do? Say, well, I think you should consider the Scriptures. I think you should get counsel. I think you should take a knee, go slow, be safe, whatever. But reconciliation is always going to be the best, but it's not always possible. But you don't really want that on you. I've had... Um, I've told people before the biblical grounds for divorce, that especially marital unfaithfulness. And it's okay. I mean, I live with it. But, I, but the, the, in this case, two husbands blame me for their divorce. You told my wife to divorce me, you know. And, and, and I didn't. I told, her, I told them what the scriptures said. And when they asked me, what do you think about my husband wanting to live in an open marriage? I, I, I said, I'd say no. But I didn't tell them to get divorced. But, but even then, I mean, these are just foolish people. And if they want to blame me, that's fine. I, I, don't, then I can live with that. Um, don't condemn or judge. It's not your place. Um, that's another don't. Do feel free to send them to pastoral staff or to counseling. If, if you feel like, you know, this has gotten above what I want to deal with, either I don't have the skill or the time, it takes a lot of time <laughs> when this happens. Then that's okay. I mean, that's then send them somewhere. So what? Before I go on, what what other questions do you have about this topic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a tough one. And um, that one's going to take a lot. You know, I I would. I would say that one's going to take a lot of pastoral care and prayer and counsel. Biblically, if a person has, um, I mean, Jim Lewis has practical, where are you at, Jim? He has practical experience with that, don't you? Then you're, you know, his, his mom has Alzheimer's and had Alzheimer's and before she died and, and his dad was married to her and was a committed Catholic. And so that, that was a, that's a tough one, isn't it, Jim? So I would say, 
I'm not going to give an... I would say you don't have biblical grounds to divorce apart from those two exceptions. And um, um, I would say that it's like any other suffering in that case, you know, that you, you suffer and trust the Lord. Yes. Both are unbelievers. Then if they're both unbelievers, you know, they're um, and they don't I mean, are they unbelievers and don't really care what the scriptures say kind of thing. Yeah, well, you know, they're they're going to do whatever they they want to do. Um, they're, um, you know, so their their first problem is they haven't submitted to the gospel, <laughs> and then the second problem is, you know, they they're not submitted to the scriptures. So, the the Bible doesn't really speak to them directly. You know, they're they're kind of living an unbiblical life outside the gospel to start with. So if they if they got divorced, you know, it's obviously not a they're not they're not living a biblical life to start with, so I don't know that it would speak to them per se. Yeah. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I thought she was saying, you know, is it, would it be a biblical divorce if they got a divorce? You know, because like an unbelieving spouse wants out. You know, would you apply the unbelieving spouse wants out? Or if one was unfaithful, you know, would you apply that? So you could apply the, you know, let's say you have two unbelievers and, and, and one of them wants to leave, or they both want to leave. So what makes it complicated is do you apply that exception clause where the unbelieving spouse wants out when they're both unbelieving spouses that want out? You know, you know that that's what I'm saying. It just begins, it gets complicated. So, I think um, my my own experience is, is if you try to com- if you try to convince someone who's not ever submitted to the lordship of Jesus to submit to His Word, it you know because it's in the Bible, I haven't found it to be that compelling for them. That was kind of my my point. So I would probably start with and and major on the gospel rather than rather than on the marriage, you know. And if they submit to the Lordship of Jesus, then you have the Holy Spirit's power and you have the authority of the Scriptures on your side. But I'm, but again, if someone asked me, and they have, I've had unbelievers ask me, should I get divorced? I said, no, that's not God's best, you know. So, yeah. I have seen it helpful. I mean, there's, there is a legal separation. And, and um, it used to be, there was, is there still a year max? So legal separation. The idea of legal separation is you're going to get, you know, we're going to, you're going to, we're going to have, the, you know, this could protect you financially. That's separate from like a, a, a you know, a, a restraining order. That's totally separate. Restraining order is another legal thing where someone can't get, within so many feet of you and they get hauled off to jail. But legal separation is keep someone from draining the bank account or whatever. And but you but it used to be you have a year, about a year, to either divorce or end this thing. You can't live in legal separation forever. It was a stopgap measure. And um, you know, I have recommended people do that. Um, some, there's counselors, I don't know about you, there are counselors who think that that usually doesn't go turn out well. Has that been your experience? 
Yeah. So, um, again, there's different opinions on that. I would, I probably as a group leader, if someone asked you, and if they're at that point, I would probably strongly recommend they go talk to a counselor. And or if they say, no, I don't want to, and I have, I'd say, well, go talk to a lawyer. At that point, I'd, I'd send them to a lawyer because now you're talking about legal ramifications and implications that you don't want to, I don't think you necessarily want to give advice on. So I wouldn't encourage, I personally, at this point, you know, I have in the past, at this point, I wouldn't encourage separation. I would give them the facts. Is that, is that your approach? I'd say, here's the facts. Talk to a lawyer and find out what the ups and downs of it are. The Bible doesn't really speak to that. Um, but we do have a, a legal situation where you can do that. So, yeah, Brenda. Some places, yeah. Yeah, and there's different opinions. I can tell you mine. Um, and this is where again, my opinion is, is there's people who say, okay, once you have a, an unbiblical divorce, then, you, then I would say, yeah, go back and see if you can reconcile. If reconciliation is impossible because they've remarried, then um, some would say, well, then you're stuck. I would say you can repent, and um, I, would, I would remarry. If someone asked me to remarry them and they've repented and, and, and after lots and lots of pastoral care, I would do their marriage if they remarried again. It would be a forgivable sin. Some say it's essentially an un, you know, unrecoverable sin, so you have to live single the rest of your life. I wouldn't dispute people who took that approach. I mean, there's biblical evidence that way. Piper believes that way. Jay Adams and others believe more like I would believe. So, I mean, it's a simple answer to a complicated... It's when you start layering sin, you know, is it unrepentable or not? And if it's unrepentable, if it's repentable, repented of, some people say, yeah, I can repent of it, but the consequences don't go away. And I get that. And I would say, well, but this is one where maybe the consequences don't have to stick to you. So there's different opinions. My, my opinion is I, I would talk to them a lot and find out their situation and what their heart is. And so, But feel free to have a different approach on that. I mean, there's, it's a, the, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because there's a lot of different ways people go. Yeah, Neil. And thanks, and I appreciate that because, you know, our church overall is a pretty low gossip church, which is a good thing. And, and you do have, you have, we have confidentiality as, as clergy members. And what that means is um, you can come, you're not, if someone says, <coughs> excuse me, um, you know, I'm leaving my spouse, but I don't want you to tell anybody, and it's weighing on you, you can come and talk to a staff person and you can say, 
I'm coming to you as a staff person. This is confidential. My own opinion is, and this is both as military chaplain Pat, you've not broken their confidence because you've, you've, this is a, we have absolute confidence. I couldn't be drugged into court and made to tell that. And now at that point, I could help, I or Brenda or Jim or who, you know, could help advise you on maybe how to go forward and then say, if someone says, I don't want you to tell anybody, you know, and you're worried about breaking their confidence by telling us, you could say, you know, you could, you could, you could go to that person and, and we could give you advice or we could help you, give you some, maybe counsel you or coach you. But at some point, you'd hopefully be able to go back and say, you, you, I really think you should talk to Terry or Jim or Brenda or whatever about this. But that's a good point. We don't always know. And we're not necessarily going to be able to fix it if we do. But you shouldn't have to carry that by yourself. James, any, anything, that, anything to add to this? Any other questions about this? And, and, and you've probably heard a number of people say, well, he was Marilyn faithless because they had an emotional affair. You, you can't really jive that with Scripture. Um, but if someone takes that approach, then they take that approach. But that doesn't, that's not the intent. In my conviction, that's not that's not the intent of what Jesus said about marital unfaithfulness. Um, so, a couple of points about uh, active listening when, when this situation or any number. Yeah. Yeah, you have you, and that's and the, part of the reason we're having this conversation is to protect you and to inform you because as group leaders, your, 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 your primary role, and I, and I meant to start with that slide about, um, that Rodney talked about last time, about your primary, your primary role is to disciple people. You're, you're not primarily a counselor. That's not your job. That's not your, you know, you, you're going to say, well, I'm going to have to do some counseling. Yeah, you are. But your primary role is to help people grow in their faith. That's your primary calling. And, um, and so you, you've got to have some boundaries around yourself, around your life, because you can get sucked in. And, and you know, you, you, you know um, when I, before I was married, I had, I had three street people living with me and my friend. It was three full-time jobs. And I'm not kidding you. It was, it was one messy person can be a full-time job. And so you can't do that, and and uh, you just don't have the time and energy. So, and then also, if you get into abuse situation, it can be dangerous for you because people can, they can come after you physically. So, put boundaries around yourself. I mean, everything you say yes to, you're saying no to everything else. So, we're not asking you as group leaders to be all things to everybody all the time. We're really not. We're asking you to just, if it's something that you just feel like I don't have time, energy. Um, mental, spiritual, emotional capability for, then say that needs to go to a counselor. That needs to go to someone who does it full time or to a lawyer or to Terry, you know, whatever. But protect your own self physically, emotionally, spiritually as well. I'm, good question. Does that answer your question or, or you have more? Okay. Yeah. Um, 
It's not scripture, not clear, but my opinion is sexual contact. Yeah. So, kissing. I mean, you start dicing it, but but if it's sex, if it's contact of a sexual nature, then yes, that would be fornication, and so people can. Is that your? Is that is that what you believe too, James? Yeah. Does that answer the question? So, um, listen, 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 listen when you're dealing with people. You guys have these skills, but let me just, we'll just do a refresher. Um, listen until you think you've listened all you need to listen, and then listen some more. Ask some questions. Ask open-ended questions, because if you, if you, Proverbs eighteen thirteen said, He who answers before listening, that is to his folly and shame. Proverbs 25 says, The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out, or a woman of understanding draws them out. And then James 1.19, be, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. So the point is, is that you, you know, I, I'm not by, by Adam nature, <laughs> you know, patient, slow listener, but, but I've learned, I mean, I've listened to people for 45 minutes, an hour, monologue straight, where they, they talk for, and, and 15 minutes in, sometimes I think I know, but then 30 minutes in, I thought, oh, I guess I didn't, and then 45 minutes. So it, it, I'm just saying, listen, listen first. Um, pray without ceasing. Do not underestimate the, the importance of praying. As you're listening, pray. Ask and believe God will speak to you. God will speak to you. He'll give you wisdom. And um, it's usually going to be some sort of an inner... You know, he's not going to speak audibly, most likely. It could be bringing a scripture to mind. It could be, say this, ask this. It's not just for the, the super gifted, anointed people who hear words from God. God wants to speak to you. And I think you should believe that, because I think it's true. And so when you're listening, pray, 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 pray. And then pay attention to the person. If the person is flooded... If the person is flooded from anger or from grief or from whatever, then or from sadness, then just listen. But if if it looks like they're flooded, um, just listen. But don't give them any advice because it's, it's just going to bounce off uh, like like off of steel, bullets off of steel. Because they're just their 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 higher functioning just shut down. So listen, 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 and just can wait for another day. Um, try not to make it about you. So there's times when you want to interject experiences to relate, but most of the time, not always, but most of the time it's not a great idea to over-relate when someone's sharing. <laughs> you know, the, well, I went through something like that, or I went through a similar... And that's, that's great in a conversation with a friend, but when you're listening to people, it's usually not a great idea. There's times when that can bring um, connection, but often it's not a great idea. Um, so and then here's 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 where I would land. I, I don't underestimate the power and importance of what chaplains in the military call a ministry of presence. I used to mock that, not really, not verbally, but I a ministry of presence. That's just lame, you know. Do something, and um, and that was 20 years ago. And now 20 years later, I go, don't do anything. <laughs> Start with a ministry of presence, and there is power in that. That, the Holy Spirit has a ministry of presence. You know, Jesus, 
Christ's ministry. And so what, basically what it means is that, is that you, as a group leader, showing up with someone who's suffering, you are another chaplain. You are a visible reminder of the invisible God. And Houston didn't really think that was necessarily a great, you know, uh, come on, that sounds kind of um, fuzzy. I don't think that anymore because I've seen it too many times. I've been in too many situations where people were overwhelmed. You know, someone is dying. Someone has died. And they don't, they don't need me to say anything. They need me to be a visible reminder of the invisible God right here. And that has enormous healing power and enormous ability to open them up to something later. So I'll tell you a story. It's a very fresh story. He won't mind me telling you this because he's, I, I read an article about it. So it's, it's, he, he's in an article, so it's out there. Um, five years ago, six years ago, we walked into, we were going to do a marriage seminar, Christy and I, for that active duty people out at the base. So I didn't know anybody. So I walked in the room. And my first response, because I'm a borderline introvert, is my first thought is I don't want to be here. My second thought is, God, who do you want me to talk to? <laughs> so for, after I got over, I don't want to be here. I said, okay, God, lead me to who you want me to talk I don't know anybody, so lead me to somebody. So I looked around, and there was this table, and there was a couple. And I had this, you know, the, you know, the, the still small voice. So we went and sat down next to this guy. And I said, hi, a black guy, really gregarious. I said, hi, my name's Terry Williams. He said, hi, so is mine. Sure enough, no kidding. His name was Terrence Williams. He goes by Terry Williams. I said, well, wow, I guess I picked the right table. And, um, and so we hit it off famously. I mean, we had a great time. And Christy, his wife, Nicole, they got very gregarious guy. So, and um, turns out his wife, he, he not a, wasn't a believer, his wife drug him to this thing. And he goes, this is going to be pathetic and miserable. I'm going to hate every minute of it. And um, he liked it. It was fun. And we, him and I got along. And then um, that was on a Saturday and a Friday and Saturday. Sunday he came to church here, and then we lost contact. And it turns out that he was outwardly a very gregarious guy, but he'd been, he'd been deployed as a cop multiple times, seen a lot of things, and he had s- severe PTSD, nightmares, terrors, all this stuff. And then the next time I saw him was a year ago. A year ago this week, his wife called me and said, Terry's in the psych ward. So I went to see him. Right before I got there, the active duty chaplain showed up because it was his job, but he didn't have a relationship with Terry. And Terry cussed him out of the building, you know. So I showed up, and Terry said, come on in, because we had a relationship. So we, two hours we talked, and he had tried to kill himself at home. His daughter found him and thought he was asleep, but he'd taken a bunch of pills. They barely saved his life. And so then last night, we went to this... Um, this banquet. It's a, the, the guard has a, the Kansas Guard, Air and Army, has an annual meet, business meeting. It's, it's, it's horrific. And, um, <laughs> and, so, and so I said, Oliver got out because he was out of town. So I told him, I'll come. So they wanted me to pray twice in the morning and twice at night, you know, the, the prayer guy. So I said, I'll come and pray in the morning and I'll pray at night if I can leave in between. They said, yeah, Chaplain, go ahead. You can leave in between. So I prayed in the morning, went home all day, and it came back at night. And I prayed at the and but I Christy told me she she was she goes, I'm sorry I gotta go do this, you know, as I left. And I said, No, you know, I'm not gonna look at it that way. I'm gonna, this is this is not God's given this to me. Because too much of my life I'm like, God is sovereign, 
and I'm going to gripe about everything he leads me to do at the same time. And, you know, how are you going to have it both ways? And so I said, I'm going to see what God wants to do. So I prayed at this before the dinner, and I was going to pray again at the end, and I'm sitting there with some people at this table, and a guy walked over and just put his hand on my neck and looked up, and it was Terry, Terrence Williams. And he was gonna, he was um, gonna end, he was gonna, he was gonna be the MC for the dance after the thing. And um, when I prayed, he texted his wife, Nicole, Terry is here, and um, and it'd been a year, and God had healed him. And Justin Moody, a month ago, two weeks ago, sent me an article. Hey, this is your friend, and it was an article that went out across the Department of Defense, and it was about the wounded warriors and Terry, this Terry. And so we, we hugged and connected, talked for a long time. And, um, and we're going to, the relationship has been reconnected. The last time I saw him, I thought, I don't know if he's dead in a psych ward, wherever he is. And he had to tell his, it went out and it, it went out and it was in a newspaper. He's doing some speaking and he had to tell his, he said, his wife said, Terry, you know, you got to tell your kids now because they don't want to read this. So he told them and he said, it's really bound their family together. So all that was to tell you that it started not with me trying to fix this guy, but with a ministry of presence. And because of a ministry of presence, when I showed up, he didn't cuss me out of the building. He said, come on in. So my point, what I used to be, ministry of presence, there's got to be content to help people. There does, but ministry of presence opens people's lives to content from you and from others. You don't know how long it's going to be before it happens. So it's, it's a... I would say as group leaders, a couple of things I encourage you. Expect God to speak to you, to you, about people. I would say, see yourself, look in the mirror and go, what a mess. And then go out and be a visible reminder of the holy to people. And, and yet you. And what it'll do, part of what it'll do, it'll incentivize you to walk with God in private because your public life is as powerful as your private life. So it's a great incentive to want to walk with Jesus. That's no small thing. You have, you have more responsibility than the average person in the, in the, we don't have pews, in the chair. But you have more privilege and opportunity than anybody either because you have added incentive to walk with Jesus. And um, I used to see that as a, a burden. Now I see it as a great privilege God's given me. So we're gonna, here we're going to end with um, um, a few minutes of, of just having you give some. We're going to skip. It's all tied together, but kind of skip to a different topic. And I want to talk about accountability best practices. Accountability is super important. Accountability has a bum rap. People have had bad experiences with accountability. It doesn't work or it works negatively. My, I'll give you my approach on accountability is I say, Rob, what do you want? And Rob says, I want this. I want a better marriage. I want to be a better worker. I want, to be, I want a better quiet time. I want whatever. And then what's the gap between what you want and where you are? How can I help you close that gap? Accountability is not what I want for somebody else. Accountability is what do they want, and and how can I help you? You know, how can I help you, Scott? What can I do? And the way we see accountability is, you know, 
God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. You know, that's how we see accountability. And it's like me pushing it to you. But, um, and this is where I think accountability breaks down, is, is if you don't know what you want, I can maybe help you, help you with a vision for that. But it doesn't matter how bad I want something for you. You know, it, it matters what you want. And I can, I can help incentivize, I can salt the oats, maybe help with my life or whatever to help you want it more. But to see accountability is coming alongside, um, I'm going to come alongside Brad and help Brad close the gap between the vision he and God have for his life and where he is now. So with that, with that being said, um, just tell, tell, talk about it. You guys are experts. What, what works and what doesn't work? I'm not looking for, there's no right or wrong here. What works and what doesn't work in terms of accountability? Wide open. We can learn from one another.